The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. But now I'd like to look at the second lesson in this series, and that is a call unto salvation. So now let's look at Romans chapter 8 together, and uh, let's look at verse 28. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 28. We read here, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, you should underline that word, called according to his purpose. Verse 20, for whom he, I'm sorry, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Who was the first man created? Adam. So Adam we call the firstborn of men. You and I are all born in the image of Adam. In the likeness of Adam, in the image of Adam, right? Everybody agree with that? We're all born with all the human attributes and all these things. Well, if you notice in verse 29, it talks about that he may be the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. It states in verse 29 that we were predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. Who is the firstborn of many brethren? So that means that you and I, that God, remember we talked about God had a plan in salvation, and he had a purpose, and that purpose is that we would become Christ-like in our, in our, in our life and in our ways. And, and whether we want to admit it or not, throughout our life on this earth, once we're saved, we are slowly being, <coughs> excuse me, we are slowly being conformed to the image of his son by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes painless, sometimes painfully. But we are all being conformed daily into the image of Christ. And on that glorious day when the Lord will descend in the clouds and the trump will sound, we shall all be gathered together, complete in our glorified bodies in the image of Christ. But in the meantime, we are to strive as God's children each day to begin to conform to that image of his son. So when we do things in our life that are not Christ-like, then we are not fulfilling God's purpose for our life. We need to learn to say, as I've said many times, you see, once we were saved, we were given the power to say no. We were given the power to say no to sin and to overcome sin, to conquer it, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So we're to be we're to be like Christ. Now, the word call that we find in verse 28 and verse 30 is the Greek word kaleo, which is defined as a specific contact. It is that word kaleo is derived from the root word kaluo. Now, those of you who speak foreign languages, you know that often a, a phrase in a, in a foreign language is twisted just a little bit to mean something totally different, right? 
uh, I work with a couple of Hispanic-speaking ladies, and they're trying to teach me the difference between male male terms and female terms and things such as that. And usually it's just an O or an A at the end. And, and that's what we see here in this Greek word. But the, the Greek word kaleo means a specific contact, but kaluo means to order or command. So the word kaluo means to give an order, and the word kaleo is derived from that, meaning a specific contact, or in other words, a specific order. So we can conclude that salvation is a direct and a specific call from God. Call is defined as a special disposition to pursue a particular course. And the particular course that you and I have been called to, as identified in verse 28 and 30 of Romans chapter 8, is to pursue salvation through Christ. Now, if we look again at verse 29, and we notice the word predestinate, the word predestinate is the Greek word, Purizo, and this word means to limit in advance. So uh, it's derived from two Greek words, the Greek word pro meaning prior to or in front of, and the Greek word horizo, which means to appoint, to decree, or to specify. So the word predestinate would imply a particular redemption or an effectual Redemption. So what God, what we're saying, what what the what Paul is saying here, is that God has called us using a specific call for a particular purpose, and that's what He is implying in the Greek language in this text. So considering this, we must conclude that predestination would imply a particular or effectual redemption. In other words, Christ died with a particular purpose and a specific goal in mind. Jesus didn't just go on the cross and die arbitrarily. There was a plan and there was a purpose in it. John tells us in John chapter 6, verses 35 through 38, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So we cannot conclude this morning, as a universalists do, that Christ died to redeem all men without exception. For if that were true, then all men would be saved. Right? God's will is done, is it not? So if it's God's will that Jesus died on the cross to save all men, then all men would be saved. And we'd have no reason to be here today. Because if if all men are going to be saved, then what are we doing here? Why are we investing our life in, in outreach and things such as that, if all men are going to be saved? Now, that is not to say that the death of Christ in any way lacks the sufficiency to save all men, if... That were God's will. Certainly we can say without doubt that Jesus' death was sufficient for all men's salvation, but it was not specific to all men. No, he did not die to redeem all men without exception, 
However, he did die to redeem men of all nations without distinction. In other words, he didn't, he didn't just die for the Jew, he died for the Gentiles as well. And thank God for that, because I'm not a Jew, and neither are most of you. So we would be lost without hope had he not died for men of all nations without distinction. This is what it's meant in John 3.16 where it says, For God so loved the world. It's talking about all of mankind. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. Consider the prayer of Christ in John chapter 17 and verse 9 where he says, I pray for them. Now listen to what he says. I pray not for the world. Jesus says, I'm not praying for all the world here, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are mine. So we see from this that, that there is a, a particular redemption. There is a specific uh, uh, plan and purpose in, in, in Christ's death on the cross. The gospel is preached unto two men. One believes and one does not. Both receive the message, but both do not receive the call. Is it a matter of choice? I say no. Because if it is, uh, why does one man choose for and another man choose against? Is it simply a matter of the will? And if it is, who chooses for whom? And who chooses first? Well, let me, let me attempt to answer these questions. Since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, the nature of man is what? Sinful. Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The nature of man is, is, is sinful. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but just, just, how many of you have ever sat in your house and had just a horrible thought? Just, just thought of something that, you, and you say, well, why did I think of that? What in the world was I, why am I... You know why? Because man's nature is sinful. His heart is, his heart is evil. And we need to understand that. And this sinful nature of man makes it impossible for him to believe. In Luke chapter 22, we read, And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into the, their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, he will not believe me. See, the, the, the evil heart of man does not want to believe in the righteousness of Christ. It does not want to believe in, in, in God. The, the evil heart of man wants to deny. It wants to sin. If Christ's mission and purpose is to save all men without exception, then why did he not change the hearts of these men and save them? In John chapter 10, we read, Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. And I said unto you, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So we can, we can see clearly that Christ was very plain with these men, but they just did not believe. And the reason they did not believe is because of their evil heart. The heart of man is wicked. It always has been and always will be. 
Now, I know we don't like to think of ourselves that way, but I'm sorry. That's the facts. You and I, as we sit here today, within our heart beats the potential to do any horrible, wicked thing imaginable. It is but the power of Christ and the influence of the Holy Spirit that restrains us and causes us to believe and live for Christ. Yet, we must make a choice for Christ. We truly do have to choose to believe. However, this is not possible unless God first changes our sinful nature so that we have the ability to choose him. And in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 we read, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So it is God who changed us so that we could believe. And once God quickens us and regenerates us and changes us, then we do believe and we do receive. But one may argue what came first, the chicken or the egg? The choosing or the quickening? Well, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. See, I didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose me. Then he regenerated me and he quickened me. And I then chose him. Again, one may argue that they indeed did choose to receive Christ. And I would not argue against that. I too did choose on November 29, 1981 to receive Christ as my Savior. But before I chose him, he chose me. Consider the the words of the prophet Jeremiah. We read from his book in in Jeremiah chapter 1. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Before, Before Jeremiah was even conceived, God knew him. And before he was ever born, God had already called him to be a prophet. So who chooses who? Well, God chooses us. Then, once we are illuminated to his presence and his righteousness, what do we do? Father, forgive me. Come into my heart and save me. We, we receive him. But we, we don't receive him until he chooses us. So it's obvious from from scripture that God does the choosing. To believe that the final decision in salvation rests in my ability to accept or reject Christ, apart from the determinate and sovereign will of God, is to subject the will of God in the death of Christ to me. If I'm the final authority... If my salvation hinges upon me receiving Jesus, then who has the power in salvation? It would be me. Because if I have the power to reject God, then I have the power to make Christ's death on the cross meaningless. So we have to be, we have to understand, we have to fully understand 
the truth of salvation is that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. He's predestinated us unto redemption that we might be conformed to the image of his son. He has quickened us and made us alive when we were dead in trespasses and sins. He has revealed unto us his truth. And then we receive Jesus. So, what a blessed and joyous truth that it is. That, that God loved me and that he, he has saved me. Now, this side of heaven, you and I will never fully understand all of the, all of the ins and outs surrounding God's sovereign will and our salvation. He has revealed to us in his word all that we need to know. And in that day when we stand in his presence, in his likeness, in our glorified bodies, we will fully understand and comprehend all these things. But until then, let us, let us honor God by our faith, by our commitment, and by our determinate will to live for Jesus and to glorify and honor God. Now, what I'd like to do with the, the few remaining moments is uh, just to, to, to look at some things we should do in light of everything we've talked about this morning. What does this salvation mean to us and how, what, what should it cause us to do in our Christian life? Well, number one, I want to say this, endeavor to understand our salvation. Now, again, as I said, we are never going to fully comprehend the magnitude of what, what happened in our salvation. This side, of, this side of perfection, this side of heaven, we'll never fully comprehend it. But you know what? We are to endeavor to understand it. We are to live our lives as students of God's word... And never stop attempting to learn more and more and grow more and more in Jesus our Lord. And to become more, more like him in every way. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul says, Study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. One of the biggest problems in America today is that men have stopped their study of the Word of God. And, and when I say they stopped their study, I'm talking about stop their study allowing the Holy Spirit to teach them. Oh, lots of men open the Bible, but they, they read and they don't like what they read. So what do they do? They rewrite it. They call it a new translation. And they, they twist the words to make the words say what they want them to say so that they can ease their, their conscience about their lifestyle. They transform the truth of God into a lie. And rather than conform to the word of God, they conform God's word to them. That's what's wrong in our nation today. Men have left off, thus saith the Lord, and they've started, well, I, this is what I think God means. If, if, you know, in general, if you just go pull five or six people off the street and set them down and read a passage of scripture, you're probably going to get five or six opinions as to what that scripture means. And, and you all know that's true. But there's only one opinion that matters. And that is the Lord's. 
And he has provided a teacher for us. And his name is not Dalton Abshar. His name is the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we, we sit in an auditorium and listen to a teacher and we, we say, wow, that is so great. But, do you know, you have the same opportunity. Because the same teacher that teaches the teacher will teach you. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit so that he would lead us into all righteousness. That he would teach us truth. That we would comprehend and understand God's word. So we need to endeavor in our daily walk, in our daily lives, we need to strive to understand God's word. Today, um, unfortunately, many times it's it's the pastors, it's the preachers, it's the teachers who fail. Because what they do is they get on a mailing list, they get someone else's sermons... And rather than study those and, and use them as a skeleton to, 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 to allow the Holy Spirit to give them a message, what do they do? Well, they just memorize the CD or they read the scripture right out of the page and they just, they're not teaching, they're just mimicking. And what happens if they get a hold of some bad material? Well, all of a sudden you're sitting there and being taught bad material, right? No, no, no. You want to sit yourself, you want to submit yourself to a teacher who has bathed his, himself in, in the Spirit's wisdom and the, and the instruction of the Holy Spirit. We all need to study. Listen, you should never, you should never sit in a, in a church service and not have a Bible. Because you need to make sure that what you're being told is truth. You know, when I got saved, I made two promises to God that day. One promise was that I would spend the rest of my life letting other people know what Jesus did for me. And the second promise I made is that I would never again allow a man to deceive me. See, because I grew up a Roman Catholic. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, too bad. I grew up a Roman Catholic, and the priests lied my entire life. And I purposed in my heart I'd never again allow a man to lie to me about God. Now, I love our pastor. I have all the confidence in the world in him. But when he preaches, I have my Bible. Because you know what? He doesn't have nail scars in his hand. And he doesn't have a spear wound in his, in his side. He's a man. And as a man, he's subject to all the like passions that I am. And when he teaches God's word, I want to make sure he's teaching God's word. So we're to make sure of that, and we're to endeavor to know. Jesus told us in 1 John chapter 5, and verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Our Bible is our protection. Study and know the Word of God. Number two, labor to reap the harvest of salvation. In light of our, sal- our calling unto salvation, we should labor to reap the harvest of of salvation. John chapter 4. Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I've had people over the years say, I just, I just don't know how to go out and find lost people. Really? Just turn around. They're in the grocery store. They're in the doctor's office. They're at the library. They're on the bus. They're at work. They're everywhere. 
They are literally everywhere. Jesus said the fields are ready. It doesn't, you don't need to go out and grow things. You just need to go out and harvest it. And, and our job, you and me, is not, is not to go out and produce souls to save. It's just to go find them. And they're everywhere. Just open your mouth and, 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 and witness for Christ. God's going to give us opportunities. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. But don't just pray that God would send laborers into the harvest. Pray that he would send you. And do more than just pray that he would send you. Just get up and go. So next time you're at the store, next time you're, you're, you're someplace and anywhere, and you see people, you're seeing opportunities to witness for Christ. Even if they're already a Christian, you won't, the gospel is never preached in vain. So remember that. And then thirdly and lastly, be diligent to remember your own salvation. Be diligent to remember our salvation. Hebrews chapter 2, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. We forget. We're a forgetful people. Out of sight, out of, sight, out of mind. And, and we tend to forget. And we're going to forget unless, unless we're diligently reminding ourselves. Every day... Since, since the day I got saved, every morning when I wake up, I look in the mirror and I say, you are blessed. Every day. <laughs> I do it every morning. I look in the mirror, I say, you're blessed. Because you're a child of God. And I remember my salvation every day. I, I don't ever want to forget the great wonder of my salvation. Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 1. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn. And to the hole of the pit whence ye are named. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget your salvation. Remember that day for the rest of your life. One of my favorite songs goes this way. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. When I stood condemned to death, he took my place. Now I grow and breathe in freedom, which each breath of life I take. Loved and forgiven, back with the living I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. What a wonderful thing our salvation is. And we have been called unto salvation. Rejoice in that and live for Christ. Okay, folks, that's all the time I have. Thank you for being here this morning, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.